thank you for this morning. We're grateful for an opportunity to just come to you and worship you. What a rich time of just uh, letting you know how much we love you and, and uh, are so thankful for who you are and what you've done. Pray now as we jump into your word that God, your Holy Spirit, would lead and guide and encourage, correct, um, do all the things that your Spirit does so well with your word. And I pray that uh, we would leave here and this week we would uh, be changed because of your word. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Well, I want to start by um, letting you know that what we're going to be doing this morning, today's passage is really long. It's full of a lot of stuff. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to, we're going to be doing a blitz through this big, huge section of Scripture. There's going to be a lot of information. I think I have more slides than I've ever had on a sermon before, and that's because there's so much information. I want to help you, those of us that are visual people, uh, that helps to bring all that in. So here's what I want to ask of you this morning. I want to encourage you with all this information, I'm not going to be telling a lot of stories, not going to be uh, expounding a ton on different, on everything, but here's what I'd like you to do. I want to encourage you, and we've done this once before when I had a lot of stuff too, I want to encourage you to find one thing, okay? One thing that from today's message, from today's passage that you can apply to your life, okay? Is that fair enough? I know a lot of times we go into a sermon sometime and it goes, oh, there was so much there. It gets lost in there. I just want to encourage you to get one thing. If you get more, bonus, okay? Come and see me afterwards. I have a balloon for you or something. But if, that's what I want to encourage you because it's going to, like I said, it's going to be a lot. So in that, with that in mind, let, what we want to do is kind of uh, uh, jump in. Last week, what we did, we were talking about how as followers of Jesus, that we have been given this specific task or what we call this mission. Remember that? We talked about being on mission. And this mission is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven. It's this good news that God took human flesh in the person of Jesus, and he demonstrated by his life, by his teachings, by his miracles, by his suffering, and his death and his resurrection, he demonstrated that he truly is the king of kings, as scripture foretold. And now is the time, he's saying, now is the time for men and women, children, boys and girls, now is the time to submit to his reign and rule. Now's the time. This is what our mission, this is what the mission that he gave his disciples, and this is the mission that he has given us. So last week we looked at some instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples before he sent them out, okay? We saw that he told them that some people will really embrace your message. Some people will embrace you and your message. But we also saw that Jesus said some people won't. There will be people that won't. And what Jesus will continue to do this week, as he was doing last week, but this week, in extraordinary detail, he's going to help prepare his disciples for the inevitable persecution they're going to face by those people that do not embrace them or their message, okay? Because the truth really is that the mission that Jesus sends us on as his followers is really, quite frankly, it's a risky one. It's no small thing. We think that, oh, you know, sometimes we think as being a Christian, it means now that we, we share love and cheer and good peace and all that stuff. And that's part of it. But as we're going to see here, this is a message that goes very contrary to what the world has to say. Look at what the Apostle Paul told in his, to his protege in Tim, to Timothy. He said in 2 Timothy, he said, indeed, all, okay, 
every person, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be fun, filled life. No, no, everyone will be persecuted. Now, I know for most of us here, we will never experience the kind of persecution that the, that the early church did under the heavy hand of Roman rule. Actually, you know, at one point, Christianity was against the law. So we'll never, maybe, no, I don't think we'll ever experience that or even experience what many Christians have experienced, that they experience today. Even There are still places today, believe it or not, in the world where it is illegal to be a Christian, or at the very least, if you're a Christian, an outspoken Christian, you will be persecuted, possibly even to death. So that still exists. But I know none of us, that'll happen to most of us here. Yet many of us, I believe, can relate to being hurt by people's response to our faith. To be teased or mocked for what we believe by a friend or by a coworker or a family member. For some, your career, your social standing, even relationship with friends or family members has been kind of strained due to sharing the gospel. I think some of there's plenty of us that can relate to that. Now, this morning, as we continue in our study in the book of Matthew, we're going to look at chapter 10, okay? Chapter 10, verses 16 to 42. And I got a ring and a buzz or something. Do you guys hear a ring out there? I've, I got one that's driving me nuts up here. Um, maybe it's a light or an antenna or I don't know. Um, maybe I need to come closer to you. But... Um, um, so we're going to look at chapter 10, verses 16 to 42. And what we're going to, and what we're going to do where these, in these verses, Jesus, knowing that his disciples are going to be encountering persecution on this mission that he is sending them on to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, he gives them some instructions that contain really what I believe are timeless truths. Timeless truths that I believe are really applicable to not only them, but to you and I as well. So let's just jump right in. First thing Jesus says in order to prepare them for what to expect, he says they should expect persecution. They should expect it, okay? Just expect it. It's going to be there. And he starts by what he does here. He gives a little visual of what it's going to look like. Look at just verse verse 16 first real quick. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So right off the bat, Jesus wants his followers to fully understand the cost of following him, the cost of being his disciple, the cost of living on mission. You see, to be a follower of Jesus living on mission is to literally be sent out into a hostile environment. Do you believe that? Do you know that? It means to be sent out into a hostile, like sheep. I, that, that's why he gives this picture, like sheep amongst wolves. Can you, just, can you just picture it? Here are these vulnerable sheep, you know, and there's this whole pack of wolves. It's like, go, go. That's the picture here. That's the picture of these vulnerable sheep going out with these things. But Jesus tells them that they're not to be like sheep, though, in their attitude. Okay? He says their vulnerable position demands that they first be wise. Okay, I'm sending you out. This looks really terrible, 
but I want you to be wise. Now, this word for wise, or as in, in the NIV says shrewd, it refers to, it refers to being prudent or being, or being discreet. It's a picture of, yet, try to see if you can get this in your mind. It's a picture of having insight along with common sense to be able to do and say the right thing at the right time. That's key, you guys, because I think a lot of times as Christians, we are not that way. We don't have the insight, and we're, we're probably more, more accurate, the common sense to be able to say the right things or to do the right things. We want to react, don't we? It's easy to react to, especially if someone is persecuting us or saying something different than what we believe they are. They're against what we believe or putting us down. We want to react. Being wise is being able to react in an appropriate, an appropriate way, okay? And there's also this innocence here. It says, be innocent, which literally means, it's an interesting word, it means to be unmixed, okay? It means to be pure, to be honest and transparent without being deceptive. Just be who you're supposed to be. Be real, be open, be honest, so really, to be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove means this balance of being able to keep from attracting trouble, which some Christians seem to have a hard time doing sometimes, from attracting trouble, unnecessarily trouble, or avoiding it without compromising, while being completely honest with pure motives. I mean, these are the things that enable us as followers of Jesus to really be able to survive but not only survive, I think sometimes Christian thinks in order for me to survive, I got to be combative. I got to stand up to these guys. I got to be able to say what, I got to speak my mind. That's not what he's saying here. Because one thing to survive is another thing to fulfill our mission though. Those are two different things. You can survive, but we want to fulfill our mission as well. Perfect example is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was able to be all things to all men. He was able to be wise in how he dealt with all these different types of people. And he was, but he was able to do it without compromising his convictions. And he was able to still say the truth. And his motives stayed pure. That's what it means, okay? So this is the picture Jesus is giving as he's sending them out. Because he knows they're going to want to react. He knows they're going to not be wise. He knows they're going to want to be what a lot of times we as Christians are sometimes is idiots. He knows that they're going to do that. He knows, I know for me, I'm going to respond in a way that's just not appropriate. So that's why he's telling this. Okay. Now, Jesus goes, he gets specific here as to what the persecution they're going to expect will specifically look like. So here we go. First, Jesus says that persecution will come from both religious and government officials. It's going to come from both government officials and the religious people. Look at verses 17 and 18. He says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in your synagogues, in the synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Now, this sounds terrible. <laughs> hey, hey, here we go, guys. Sending it out. It's going to be a party. Go. Go out. Oh, yeah. By the way, here's what's going to happen. These, beware of these people because they're going to drag you into court. They're going to flog. They're going to do all these crazy things uh, to you. But he says, but he wants them to know something yet. What he's trying to help them to understand is that being persecuted for being on mission, although it's difficult, although it's challenging, although it might be heartbreaking many times, 
Yet it will often result in opportunities to share the good news of the kingdom to those that we normally wouldn't be able to share it to. Remember, the best example of this is, once again, the Apostle Paul. From a Roman prison, being in prison, he wrote to the church in Philippi, he says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being in jail, has really served what? To advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Can you imagine? Who would think that that would be the outcome? Oh, our greatest guy, our greatest evangelist. Oh, no, he just got thrown in jail. And he's just saying, you know what? This is awesome. It has actually made the gospel advance even more. And it's true if you, read through, if you read through the book of Acts too. Remember, you've seen it when you read there. Persecutions of Christians not only didn't stifle the message, but what it actually did, it contributed it to its spreading. We have this negative thought that, oh, if something bad happens when I share the gospel, that means it wasn't shared properly. Or it means it's not in a good thing, good things aren't going to happen. Jesus is letting them know, no, don't be thinking like that. Don't think this way. And he also gives them another positive aspect of being persecuted in this specific way. Look at what he says in verses 19 and 20. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through here you. See, what he's saying here is we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to worry about what to say when the time comes to give us a defense for our faith, no matter who we're in front of. doesn't matter how big or small. We don't have to worry about that. He says that the Spirit of God will supply the words to say when needed. I think so often... I, I've been the place, I know I've been in this place, we worry about saying just the right thing. Have you ever sensed the Spirit nudging you to share your faith or say something? And one of the first things that crops up in after, after that nudge, one of the first things that crops up is what? <laughs> Fear. Uh, what if I say the wrong thing? What, 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 if I, what if I blow it? What if I'm a bad representative? So what we do oftentimes is we don't say anything at all. And the enemy loves that. Absolutely loves that. And what Jesus is saying here, don't worry about it. I think even though sometimes I've left times talking with people going, wow, they're going to be Buddhist now for sure. You know, because I'm like, that was, I just didn't get it across at all. But, I, but you know what? I realized that's, not, and I've had those very same people come back and want to know more. We don't know. God is going to give us the words, and we don't have to worry about what's going to happen. The truth is about being on our mission to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven might get us into situations where we have to defend ourselves. You can expect it. There's no way you're going to be able to give a message like the gospel and always think, you know what, this is going to be safe. This message is going to be no problem. It's going to be completely received. No way. You're probably going to have to defend yourself. When that time comes, not only what Jesus is saying here, is there a possibility that we might have the opportunity for more people to hear our message, but we can be assured that the Holy Spirit's going to give us the words when we need them. So we don't need to be afraid. We don't have to. 
Now, another form of persecution, Jesus says, that can be expected is from those closest to us. Look at verses 21 and the first part of verse 22. He says, brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and child will raise up against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Welcome to the fun world of a being disciple, huh? Wow, that is some hard stuff. Some really hard stuff. Now, not only can we anticipate having to defend our faith for others, we can anticipate really our devotion to Jesus causing relational division. We can count on it happening. Sometimes Jesus gets more, sometimes, and he will, something he'll get into detail a little bit more later. We're going to see how he gets specifically into this more. But the harsh reality is that just like people rejected Jesus and his message, they will reject us, even the people that are closest to us. I've seen it, and you've probably seen it too, where people that were so close, and then Jesus came. And wow. And we're going to see how he explains exactly why, what that looks like in a, few, in a few minutes as we get going here. Now, in the second half of verse 22 and verse 20, second half of verse 22 and verse 23, this is the kind, this, what that's happened is Jesus kind of hits a pause button here, okay? He kind of says, okay, pause for a second here. I want to say, I want to give you something that's going to help you to help you a little bit here. I want to give you a reason to remain faithful. This sounds really hard. But I want to give you a reason to remain faithful. And here's what he says in the second part of verse 22. He says, but, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you on one, in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus is saying that to remain faithful because there will be a day where we will be vindicated. There will be a day of vindication. It is coming. This is all worth it. He's going to talk about more of this a little more later. But he's saying it is worth it. Be encouraged. Remember John, in, in John 16, Jesus said this. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, or one of your versions of be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, we persevere through persecution knowing that we are a part of something so much bigger than us. If we see our persecution, if we see sharing our faith and the results of sharing our faith is all about our world and how it impacts our world, we're completely missing the whole point. We're totally missing it. What this means is we're a part of something so much bigger. We're a part of draw, helping to draw people, people closer to who Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. That's what we're being a part of. Now, the Son of Man, this is a reference of Jesus himself depicted as victorious over all evil, as completely vindicated as he sits on the throne. That's what he says. When he says the Son of Man, that's the picture. When you hear that in the Bible, Son of Man, it's this picture of Jesus sitting on the throne, completely vindicated. And we get to share in that. The beauty is because Jesus already won the battle, we win too. We win. So he's saying, go. Keep going. Don't stop. You will, there will be a day where you will be vindicated. Okay, so the first thing we see is that we're to expect persecution, okay? 
Expect persecution for living out our mission of sharing the good news. Okay, second thing. Second thing Jesus tells us, his disciples and us, in order to prepare them for persecution is he says, do not fear it. We've already, he's already talked a little bit about that, but now he's going to get very specific. Do not fear persecution. And he gives us four reasons, okay? Four reasons not to fear. Let's look at first, the first one in verses 24 and 25. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have, if they have called the master of the household Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Okay, now that sounds kind of weird, all that. But what Jesus is saying here basically is because he's been persecuted, followers of his should expect the very same thing. Those that want to be like the teacher, those that want to be like the one they're following, you should expect to go ahead and be persecuted. And once again, by associating with Jesus, with the, the way he was treated, the world is going to treat us the same way. The religious, the religious leaders even went as far as what to call him what? He, they said he was of the devil. They, was, they said he was being used of the devil. So why should we be surprised if our Savior, the person that we follow, very smart religious people called him of the, of the devil? We should not be surprised when we're maligned and we're ridiculed for our faith. I doubt any of us is going to be called being used of the devil. But to be maligned and like, like, like we probably will be by living out our mission is nothing like that. But it's still in the same realm of what Jesus is talking about here. As servants of Jesus, we should expect no better treatment than he received including rejection, persecution, and in some cases, even death. And I could go on to my whole hobby horse about how Christians demanding our rights all over the world. We demand that you treat us equal. We demand that you do all Now, it's okay to have equal rights. That's all a good thing. But for us to demand our right, what we should be demanding, we should be demanding we want to be treated like our Savior was treated. I want, I, I, I don't expect anything more than that. I don't expect anything more to be true because I know I have a message that goes counter to the culture. Now, we obviously have rights and we don't want to be treated bad and all that stuff. So like I said, that's a whole other discussion. But we don't need to be demanding. We need to be expecting that we are going to be persecuted. But we don't need to fear it because here's the beauty of all this. What greater honor could there possibly be than to be identified with Jesus? That's what he's saying here. What honor could there possibly be more than to say, you are treating me like Jesus. Thank you. And that's not our nature, is it? Not at all. I think about the apostle Peter when he was, what he got, you know, apostle Peter, how he died. He was crucified, but you know how he was crucified? Upside down. He didn't even feel worthy to be, he was identified with Christ but he didn't even want to be, he didn't want to get any glory that would have come out of a crucifixion. He wanted to, he was willing to be, whatever it took to be maligned like his savior, he was willing to go through it. Amazing, amazing. Apostle Peter, he even wrote this. He said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, 
that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Wow, what a mindset. That's an incredible mindset. Now, second reason to not fear, persecution is found in verses 26 and 27. It says this, so you have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Well, I, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetop. What's, what Jesus is saying here is, don't, we don't have to be afraid to boldly proclaim the good news of the kingdom from the rooftops. From the rooftops, because one day the truth will come out. The truth will come out. That's the next point. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear persecution because the truth will come out. One day, the rebellious and the wicked will all be exposed for who they are. We don't have to go around pointing fingers. Everybody, make sure you understand they're wicked. Make sure you understand they're wrong. It's all going to happen. It's all going to happen. We don't have to worry. The truth is going to come out. And not only will Jesus be completely vindicated one day and his claims upheld, we too will ultimately be vindicated as well. That's what he's saying here. We will be vindicated for all this. So don't be afraid. Don't fear it. You will be vindicated. Okay, the third reason, third reason we're told not to fear persecution is in verse 28. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So we see here that our eternal destiny is secure. That's what he's saying. He's saying our eternal destiny is secure. We have nothing to lose. Really, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen to us? At worst, they can kill us, our body, but they can't kill the soul. Really, since we have one shot in this life, since we have one shot, why be afraid of what others may say or what others may do? There's no reason. Only God has the final say concerning our identity and our eternal state. This is where the flesh just gnaws at us. I know he does me. It does me. It's easy to see. It's easy to read. But man, that's hard to live. Difficult. I love what the Apostle Paul, once again, he's just amazing. I love Paul, his attitude concerning this very thing. He says this in Philippians. He says, for me to live, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to be, to part and be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain here in the flesh is more necessary on your account. This guy's, <laughs> he was torn. Paul was torn between wanting to be with Jesus and wanting to stay and proclaim his kingdom. Oh my goodness. I pray all the time, God, let me live a long time. I do. I don't know about you. It sounds like, I want to see my grandkid. I mean, you know, my, my parents have a 50-something-year-old kid. I want to have a 50-something-year-old kid. And all these grandkids. I want that. But I hear, hear Paul say, you know what? Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Desire that. But be torn that you want to be with Jesus as well. So see, we don't need to be afraid. We don't. And this is really actually what has motivated so many Christian martyrs over the centuries to stand up to the gospel. 
to be able to stand up. Martin Luther to be able to stand up to the entire Catholic church, and the state-run church there, and say, you know what? This is not right. We're doing something, we're doing something different. Knowing that people had died and been executed, burned to death for doing the exact same thing he was doing. We said, I got to do this. I have to do the right, th- right thing. All right, fourth reason Jesus gives for not fearing persecution is because God cares for them so much. The fourth reason is that God cares for us so much. Look at, look at verses 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. What he's, seeing, what he's saying here is nothing happens even to small little sparrows, which back then you could buy them for this little tiny little bit of money to roast them or whatever you wanted to do with them. They were these inexpensive things. But he's saying here, nothing happens even to them without God's knowledge or consent. He's completely in control. Nothing happens to those that the Father loves, which is outside of his providential care. Nothing happens, okay? Nothing happens that takes him by surprise or frustrates his purposes. And really to emphasize this, I love what he says. He, he goes on and says this interesting. Jesus says, even the very hairs on our head are numbered, not just numbered, but they're known to God. Teach that to your children. They'll be like one. What? But it's true. He knows every. He knows it all, and, it, and nothing's going to surprise him. Nothing will. He cares about every minute detail of our lives. So don't be afraid. You don't have to fear. All right. Third one. Third thing. The third thing. Now we're in the last section here. The third thing that Jesus tells his disciples in order to prepare them for persecution that they're going to receive for um, being on mission, he says they need to remain faithful despite the persecution that they're going to encounter. Okay? They need to remain faithful despite the persecution they'll encounter. And he starts by saying to remain faithful despite public persecution. You need to remain faithful faithful despite public persecution. Look at verses 32 and 33. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will, I also will deny him, deny before my father who is in heaven. You see, to, to acknowledge Jesus before men, what that means is to openly, openly confess our, or declare that Jesus is our Lord and our master, okay? It's one thing to acknowledge it ourselves, but what he's talking about here, openly acknowledging it to those in the world that Jesus is our Lord and our master. And the result of doing so is that Jesus, he says here, acknowledges us before the Father. What this means is he literally claims that that person is he's his own. This is my person. And also, I'm going to be pleading his case before my Father. I'm going to be pleading his case because he's mine, This person belongs to me so they can persevere. I love what Charles Spurgeon said once. He said, what Christ is to you on earth, that you will be to Christ in heaven. I shall repeat that truth. Whatever Jesus Christ is to you on earth, you will be to him on the day of judgment. If he be dear and precious to you, 
you will be precious and dear to him. If you, if you thought everything of him, he will think everything of you. So powerful, so powerful. Your relative had some stuff going on there, Wendy. <laughs> so it's, 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 that's just the way it is. When we think about how God possesses us, um, I'll, my wife was talking about the other day, we were talking about um, being closed in and tight in a certain situation that's coming up in our, in our life. And she says that for her to be able to feel comfortable in those situations is to picture being rocked in Christ's arms, being in his arms. Okay, I'll just tell you, we're going to go on a cruise in a month or so, and we found out our cabin window is about that big. So she's... <laughs> so she... <laughs> so that's her way of, do, of, of doing that. Okay. All right. Okay. So now, okay, we're, now that I've got all that. So now in verses 34 to 36, Jesus says to remain full despite familial persecution. Okay, now he's drilling down even more. I want you to remain faithful despite the persecution you're going to see within your family. Look what he says in verses 34 and 36. Now he's expounding on what he said earlier. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Whoa. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That doesn't seem too hard. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Wow, wait a second. (laughs) Isn't the reason that Jesus came to earth was to establish peace? I mean, come on, look at, look at what it said. Look at what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, for us a child is born, to us a son is given. We've heard this before. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, wonderful, be called Wonderful Counsel, Mighty Peace, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no, no end. Didn't Jesus himself, even back in the Beatitudes, say, blessed are the peacemakers? So what in the world is going on here? The message of Jesus is a message of peace. It is a message of peace. But since it calls the individual to radical commitment to Jesus himself, it is a message of peace. But it's a message of peace that actually divides between those who choose him and those who reject him. That's an interesting picture. It's a message of peace that divides between people that choose him and between those who reject him. See this word sword here? Really, it's a metaphor for conflict or division. That's what he's saying. Conflict and division is going to happen because of my peace. And sometimes this sword cuts a dividing line through families. The reality is that family discord will be a normal part of some people accepting and some rejecting Jesus. It's, it's normal. It's going to happen sometimes. Some of us here have painfully experienced that. I mean, if we were around this room, I bet we could talk about how you experience that whole, that whole thing, that dynamic, that family dynamic that happens when not everybody loves Jesus. And maybe when others are even antagonistic about that. It's a very, very difficult thing. But you know what made that separation? Peace. It was the peace that Jesus brings. It's a sword and it separates. So we, so we can remain, we remain faithful despite the fact that this is going to happen. 
Finally, Jesus says to remain faithful by prioritizing Jesus and his mission over the things we value most. Okay? He says we do it by prioritizing Jesus and his mission over the things we value most. And the first thing they value he mentions is in verse 37. Look what he says. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. So Jesus tells us here that we're, we're to prioritize him over family. We're to prioritize him over family. Commentator David Guzik writes this. He says, the greatest danger of idolatry comes not from what is bad, but from what is good, like love in family relationships. Ouch. That's so powerful and so true. The willingness to sacrifice for Jesus must be total. That's what he's saying here. That's why after saying how he's prioritized family over everything, he then goes right into the next one, to the next priority, and he says that we are to prioritize him over our very lives. Not just your family, but your very life. Look what he says in verses 38 and 39. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, back then, crucifixion was the most cruel form of execution. Totally cruel. But it also, people don't realize this a lot of times, it carried a stigma of social disgrace. If someone in your family or someone you knew or then you were crucified, that was disgraceful. That was horrible. So bearing our cross symbolizes not only our willingness to endure pain and shame and persecution for Jesus' sake, but it also is a willingness to die to our desires, to our dreams, our goals, our ambitions in order to put Jesus first. So hard, isn't it? Coming up on retirement or you're thinking about what to do next stage of your life, or what do we do with our kids in this time? What are we? And we start thinking about our priorities, don't we? Our desires, our, what we, our passions, what we want. But he's saying here, we need to prioritize Jesus and his mission first, and then see how that all plays out. Tough words, huh? Convicting words, I know. The truth is that fighting, in fighting to remain, to maintain control of our lives and pursue before all else our own interests, really, we in fact lose the meaning of life when we do that. We lose it. On the other hand, when we lay down control over our lives and the pursuit of our own desires and interests for those of Jesus, with willingness to pay any price, it's then that we will experience real meaning of the abundant life. It's really when we're willing to say, here's my life, Lord. It's all yours. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll give what you want me to give. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll suffer how you want me to suffer. That's when we find true life. True life now and true life for eternity. 
Okay, now Jesus ends this whole thing. We're going to end here in just a minute. He ends this whole discourse, really his conclusion and mine, really, of this whole discourse. He ends on, on a positive note here by helping his disciples and us to really understand why enduring persecution is so worth it. Let's look, read the last two verses, verses uh, three verses, 40 to 42. He says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Here what Jesus is saying is there is tremendous reward for those that receive us or welcome us, as some of your versions say, and our message. Because what's happening when they do so, not only are they welcoming us and, re- and receiving us, they're receiving Jesus. And he's saying not only when they do that, they're receiving Jesus, they're receiving God the Father. That's no small thing. He's saying that, that's, what, that's what they're getting out of this. It's also, though, a message of how significant God views the smallest act of hospitality and kindness to those who serve him. We got to understand that's a powerful thing. When we give and we support and we help other people that are in ministry and that are doing things that we know they're sharing the gospel, God, that is a powerful thing. There's reward in that. That's what he's saying. The point is that as we step out and trust our shepherd, remember, we're sheep set out. As we step out and we trust our shepherd to lead us, and to empower us to fulfill our mission in the midst of wolves, even though we may experience some kind of persecution, we get to experience, this is the best part, we get to experience the unexplainable joy of knowing that we are participating with him in helping other people know him, helping other people know him, and helping them to join us on our mission. Now that's worth giving everything up for. That is worth it. So what's one main thing that you can apply to your life from this passage? One main thing. Where might you have been challenged? Where might you have been encouraged? Well, I want to encourage you as we finish up here. I want to encourage you to allow that one thing. Even if you haven't grasped it yet, pray about it later. What's that one thing? I would encourage you to allow that one thing to strengthen you and encourage you to be all about your mission, to be all about going forward in your mission, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven to others, despite the persecution, to the glory of Christ, our King. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these tough words, words of reality that we need to hear of for those of us, all of us in this room that that are considering ourselves, that consider ourselves followers of Jesus, that these are difficult words, yet they are powerful words and they are encouraging words. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you that you carry us, you empower us, and you love us. And I pray that as we encounter persecution for living on mission for you, that we, these realities of knowing that we are connected to the King of Kings and that we will be vindicated and that we're loved, we're cared for, we will be given the words 
we can identify with you in your suffering, that these things would encourage us to go forth boldly in our mission to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.